Hey, welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast, one of the many places that we love to declare Jesus. We see you and your life living a life of resilient faith for all of your days, and we believe that listening to this message is going to be part of strengthening your faith journey. Enjoy the message. I'm looking forward to diving into Philippians chapter 3. I believe that God has given me a word for today that I'm excited to be preaching. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12. This is Paul who is speaking Paul, who's speaking to the church in Philippi, and he is encouraging this church, which is ironic because he finds himself in prison while he writes this letter, and this is how he chooses to encourage the church in Philippi. In Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 12, it reads like this, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on. Is anyone pressing on to greater things this year? I press on, I press on, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I press on. That's what Paul is encouraging us us to do. I press on. I like the way that the message says it as well. I often read the message for fun. It says, I'm not saying that I have all this together, that I have it made, but I am well on my way reaching out for Christ who has so wondrously reached out for me. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all of this, but I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm often running and I'm not turning back. I'm not turning back. I'm not turning back. This reminds me of a song that we used to sing. I'm not turning back. I'm not turning back. I'm moving ahead. That God has big things for us. We're not focused on our past. That we're moving ahead into the things that God has for us. That as we pursue Christ, we also begin to experience the things that God has for us as well. And And Paul is writing this letter to the church in Philippi, which is a congregation, a community of people that essentially feel like and believe that they have already arrived, that they have reached spiritual perfection, that they have reached the summit of everything that there is to know, that they have learned everything that there is to know, that they have seen everything that there is to see, that they have done everything that there is to do, that there's nothing else left for them to accomplish. This is who Paul is speaking to. And I don't know if you know people like this that seem to think that they have learned everything to learn and see everything that there is to see, and and they've already done everything that there is to do. But every now and again, I meet people kind of like this. Usually on Sundays, I meet people that are kind of like this. Usually after service when I preach is when I meet somebody that's kind of like this. Somebody will come up to me, and then they'll start asking a question. And initially, I used to think that the question was just a question. What I've come to realize is that sometimes when I get these questions, they're not actually questions, they're more like statements. I don't know if you've ever been in conversations like this where someone's asking you a question, but you realize in the conversation that you're not actually asking me a question, that you're actually trying to teach me something by asking me a question. I don't know if you've ever experienced this before, and sometimes I get these questions about these obscure parts of Scripture and these random points in the Bible. What do you think about that? And couldn't it be like this? And all these questions that come about it because they're trying to trap the pastor in some Scripture that makes them look good and make them sound smart. 
I don't know if this is ever your experience, but this, this mentality is so often rooted in arrogance. I know this because this is the exact thing that I used to do. When I grew up, I didn't grow up here at this church, but when I grew up at my church back in Australia, I would do this exact same thing. When I was 17, 18, 19 years old, I would walk up to the pastor after their message and I would say, hey, that's a good message. Can you tell me about this scripture? Or can you tell me about this point? And I wasn't really asking a question as much as I was trying to state and show how smart I was and how much Bible that I knew. And I would regularly walk up to the pastor and I would ask these questions that weren't really questions. And I'm just thankful for the patience of a pastor whose grace endured my adolescent naivety during that season. I've grown out of that now. That was me way back then. That's not me right now, but that's who I used to be. And then I I read scriptures like what Paul is saying to us here in Philippians chapter 3, when he's saying that I have done all these incredible things, but I have not done everything that there is for me to do. He's saying I have not arrived just yet. And I read scriptures like what Paul is saying, and I begin to have this conversation with him and in, in my mind, and I'm like, Paul, what do you mean that you have not arrived? What do you mean that you have not done everything that there is for you to do? Jesus literally appeared to you on the road to Damascus. What do you mean that you have not arrived yet? You wrote half of the New Testament. What do you mean that you have not arrived just yet? You're, Paul, you're the apostle Paul. Largely, the, the, the first church was built on you. What do you mean that you have not not yet arrived, that you have not done everything to do and learn everything that there is possibly for you to learn? What do you mean that you have not arrived? I had these conversations with, with Paul in my mind because I would hold Paul up to such high esteem. I used to think that Paul and Jesus were like right here. I used to, I used to think that, that Paul was the most effective person in the course of biblical history of spreading the gospel. And I would tell myself, and then I would tell other people, man, I'm never going to be married because I want to be just like Paul. Never going to be married. Paul was the most effective Christian who's ever existed. He wasn't married, and so if he wasn't married, then I want to be just like Paul, and I don't want to be married then. Jesus wasn't married. Jesus was effective. Therefore, I don't want to be married either. And then I started dating Meredith. (laughs) And then I would tell Meredith, I'm never going to be married. She's like, what do you mean you're never going to be married? We're dating. What do you think the end goal of this whole thing that we're doing is? I was like, well, Paul was the most effective. Jesus was effective. I don't want to be, I want to be just like them. And they weren't married, so therefore I'm, I'm never going to get married. I'm just so grateful for the patience of a girl and whose grace endured my adolescent naivety during that season to bear with me while I began to work some of these things out. I, that's who I used to be. That's not who I am anymore, but that's who, I, that's who I used to be. I used to think that I had arrived. I used to think that I had it all together. I used to think that I had already reached my goal, and we get so often confused about what our goals are in life. We so often think that our finish line, our arrival line is, uh, is in this life and therefore we can achieve the goals in this life that God has for us. 
We think that we have already arrived at the goals that God has for us. And sometimes we think that the goal in our life is to be more successful in the jobs that we have. Sometimes we think that our goal in life is to make more money and to have more influence. And those can be good goals for us to have, but that cannot be everything that God has for us. We sometimes think that the, that the goal in our life is to get more letters that are after our name. The, the world teaches us that the goal in your dating relationship is to find out if you are sexually compatible to the person that you're dating before you enter into a marriage with that person. And then when you step into that, you realize just how hollow and how empty that really actually is. These are the goals that sometimes we set for ourselves. We set for ourselves a goal in our spirituality of just reaching salvation. Like salvation is the finish line. Salvation isn't the finish line. Salvation is the beginning line. Salvation is the starting line in the point of our spirituality, our spiritual walk with Christ. Salvation is the starting line that Jesus has for us. And if you have salvation as your finish line, then you're missing the point of life here on earth. When you have the goal of salvation being your finish line, you're just waiting to experience abundance when you get into heaven. And you're missing out on the opportunity to experience abundance here on earth. You're waiting for abundance in heaven and you're just living in hell on earth. And God has so much more in store for you today. God has so much more available to you today. And I get nervous about how many people that I see and how many people that I meet that have already arrived. How many people have already arrived? And you might not say this about yourself, but so often I have conversations with people and the language that I hear is that you've already arrived. The, the beliefs and the behavior that I hear and that I see is that you have already arrived because you're not participating, you're just spectating now. You're not sacrificing, you're just observing in life. And so now we're watching everybody else do the things that God has called us to do because you have already arrived. And whether you arrived 20 years ago, whether you arrived last year, whether you arrived last week, it's all dependent on where you set the goal for yourself, where you think that, that, the, that the goal is for what God has for you in life. That's, that's what impacts the arrival time that you get to. This arrival time is impacted by the size of the goals that God has for us. And so either you have arrived or Paul tells us about another option. Paul tells us about an option where you have not yet arrived, that you've seen some great things, that you've, that you've learned some great things, that you've done some great things, but you're not yet done, that God is not yet finished with you just yet. And I love the way that Paul communicates this. He says, I've seen some great things and I've done some great things, but God is not finished with me yet, that I have not arrived at the prize for which Christ has called me to, that I have not yet arrived and now I'm pressing on to the great things that God has for me. This is what it means to not arrive. And, and so we've got these two different groups. We've got a group of people who have arrived already, and we've got a group of people who have not yet arrived. And if you're confused about which group you might find yourself in, let me, paint, let me paint this out for you. You have already arrived 
if in your conversations you're talking less about the things that you are doing and you're talking more about the things that you used to do. If your conversations are now about stories of the things that you used to do and the things that you used to be involved in, you have a mentality that you have already arrived. You used to play ball back in high school. You used to play ball back in college, and now you're not doing those things. Now you're decades older, and you're just telling people at the barbershop about how you used to play ball back in college. You might know people just like this. You're not actually pursuing anything with your life today. You're not actually going any, after anything with your life today. You're not discipling or investing any, in anybody in your life today. You're just talking about what you used to do. You're talking about the things that you used to be a part of because you have outgrown what it means to be invested in something. You have moved. I have this conversation so many times over the last five years where I say to somebody, hey, have you ever thought about getting involved in the Cornerstone crew? And they're like, well, I used to do that, but I've, but I've grown out of it. This isn't my season to serve anymore. I, uh, I, I used to serve in kids' ministry, but I've grown out of that now. Now I don't serve anymore because I've, I've grown out of that now. I, I used to be an AE host. I used to open the doors to people, but I've grown out of that now. I've grown out of, of serving people now because now that I, I carried the vision for 20 years and now it's somebody else's responsibility. It's someone else's responsibility to, to open the door. It's somebody else's responsibility to sing to me. It's somebody else's responsibility to give in my place because I've given sacrificially for all these years. I've carried the vision for 20 years. Now it's somebody else's responsibility. And when I, when I read through Scripture, and when I look at the words of Jesus, I don't ever see that Jesus says that you get to outgrow being a servant, because servanthood is not seasonal. Servanthood is not something that you grow out of. It's not something that we stop doing. If servanthood is beneath you, then leadership is beyond you. We don't ever move past the ability of being. What an opportunity that it is to volunteer. What an opportunity that it is to serve other people and not expect anything back for it. What an opportunity that it is. And we have so many things in this church that we just wish that we could get to, that we cannot get to because of this mentality that I've already arrived. I used to do that thing, but I don't do that any, anymore because I've, because I've moved on, because I've outgrown that. That's something that I used to do in a past season. We've got so many people that are struggling in their finances that need somebody to walk alongside them and say, this is how you save, and this is how you budget, and this is how you put together your finance. We've got so many people that are struggling in their marriage that need someone to come alongside them and say, hey, you can do this. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to support you. We've got so many people that are brand new in their faith that don't know the difference between Old Testament soul and New Testament soul and don't know where to start with all of these different things, and they just need someone to come alongside them and mentor them and disciple them. But you can't do any of those things if you've arrived. Because when you've arrived, you've outgrown that thing. Right? I'm not, and I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the person next to you. I want to I be clear about that. You can go ahead and look at the person next to you and just say, he's talking about you. He's talking about you. He's not talking about me. And I want to be clear on this. I'm passionate about this, but, but I'm not mad about this because I know where this comes from. 
The reason that I'm passionate about this is because when you, when you believe that you have arrived and when you have a mentality that you have arrived, you get complacent. And when you are complacent, that is a dangerous place to be. Because you take your eyes off the goal and you stop focusing on the thing that God has called you into. And if I'm really honest and really transparent, this is where Meredith and I have been in our marriage over the last few months. Because I allowed myself to get complacent in my marriage. Because I just I stopped pursuing her the way that I should stop pursuing her. And I got complacent because I just thought, we have a good marriage. We've been married for coming up on 12 years now. And I started coasting and just going through the motions. And when that happens and you take your focus off of each other, conflict starts to happen a little bit more than it used to. And it takes a little bit longer to resolve the conflict that does take place. And this is where we've been in our marriage over the last few months. And And I know that pastors are not meant to talk like this, and we're not meant to talk about the things that we're currently going through because we're meant to present this image like we have arrived and we have everything together. But what I don't want is to stand up here in 12 months' time and to say to you, I have a testimony that last year God restored my marriage, that God turned it all around, that God brought us back together, that God healed what we were doing, and you just wish that you had known about it so that you could have been directing your prayer in this direction. What I want you to know is that we need encouragement and we need support in our marriage. And I'm not concerned in the long run at all. We're good in the long run. I'm just saying that we have had more conflict in this season of marriage than what we would typically want. A, l- a little bit of conflict is good, right? And I just I want you to know how to be praying for and encouraging and supporting us in this place. And if you've been married for more than like 25 minutes, you know that you go through different seasons in life, that it's not all honeymoon in your relationship, right? And I'm not concerned for the long run, but this is what happens when you get complacent. This is what happens when you think that you have arrived. You take your focus off the goal that you have right before you. And that's what I did. I stopped pursuing my wife the way that I should be pursuing you. And I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry about that. Because I want you to know that, that, the devil, that the devil can't have you. That the devil cannot have us. That the devil cannot have our marriage. That the devil cannot have our family. That I'm standing today to say I love you. That nothing is going to come between us. And I believe that we're coming out of this thing stronger, that we're coming out of this thing more united. I believe it. I believe it, that God is doing something special in our relationship. And that what the enemy meant for evil, that what the enemy meant for evil, I believe that God is turning it around for something good in our relationship. I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. This is... This is why I care about this so much, because when you think that you have arrived, you get complacent because you take your goal off the thing that you should have your focus on. You stop thinking about the goal as much, and that's a dangerous place to be. You understand what I'm saying? And this is true in all different areas of our life you can get complacent in. And... um, this can happen, like I was thinking about this the other day, I love working out at the gym, 
but when you think that you've arrived, it's a dangerous place to be. And, and I, I love working out at the gym, but I love working out with other people. And I love working out with other people because of the accountability that it, that it has for me. Because if I don't have other people that are relying on me or that are expecting me to go to the gym, I'm less likely to go to the gym. That's why I've still got this 10 pounds that I'm trying to lose, Michelle. You're my accountability now in this. And so when, when I go to the gym with other people, I love observing the way that they work out and the mentality that they have in different things. I've been working out with this one friend for the last few months, and, and we work out together. We always run to start and to warm up, and he always runs at the same speed for the same length of time. And then we go lift some weights, and he always lifts the same weights for the same length, length of time. He does the same exercises. We work out at the same time. We have the same frequency. And he said to me the other day, I, I feel like I'm getting stronger and these things are becoming easier. I feel like I have arrived. Like you haven't arrived, you have just plateaued. These things have become easier for you because your body has adjusted to these things. But when you work out at the gym, in order to grow stronger or lose more weight or run faster, you need to increase the resistance. You need to go deeper into these kind of things. You need to add a little bit more to what you're doing if you want to continue growing. You think that I'm still talking about the gym. I'm not talking about the gym anymore. I'm talking about your spiritual relationship with God. If you want to go to the next level of your relationship with God, you need to up the level. You need to increase the resistance of what you are experiencing in your own life. And you haven't arrived in your spiritual walk. You have just plateaued in your spiritual walk with Christ. You understand? And so if you want to go deeper in your walk with Christ, I encourage you to pray and to fast during this time of corporate prayer and fasting that we are experiencing together. Prayer and fasting is one of the best things that you can possibly do to increase your, resist, your relationship with Christ. It's one of the best things that you can do. If you want to increase the way that you trust God in your life, release your finances. It's one of the best things that you can possibly do to increase your trust with Christ. Because I don't know anybody who is spiritually mature and financially stingy. Those things are at odds with each other. You cannot be spiritually mature and financially stingy. And if you want to increase in your relationship with Christ, trust him with your finances. And I promise you that will do something special in your relationship with him. I was telling Meredith the other day that, that this fast, I haven't been feeling it as much as I want to be feeling it, that I'm kind of just, I've been going through the motions a little bit. And so what I'm going to be doing over this next week is changing the fast up a little bit so that I begin to feel it more. Because if you're just going through the motions in life, you're not going to go into a deeper relationship with Christ. And that's something that I have decided to, because you have to decide what you're willing to fight for. I have decided to master my flesh, to grab a hold of the, the pain and the struggles that I am going through, to master those things, to wrestle those things. The NIV says, the NIV says that you haven't arrived and that you should take hold of the things of God. Take hold of the things of God, right? When we hear this phrase, to take hold of the things of God, we often think of like holding on to a little baby. Take hold of the things of God. Hold on to this thing softly and, and gently. Hold on to this thing. 
A more accurate translation is not to be gentle and not to be soft. It's actually to tackle the things of God. There is some force in this language to go after this thing and to grab a hold of this thing and to wrestle it so strongly that even if it tried to get away, it couldn't get away. That's what you have to do with the things of God. I'm holding on to this so strongly. It reminds me of Jacob when he was holding on to God and he said, I'm not going to let go of this thing. I'm not going to let go of you until you bless me. I'm holding on to this thing. And even if you tried to get away, you couldn't get away. Hold on to these things and don't let them go. This is not passive language. This is forceful language. And essentially, this is where our spiritual maturity and our childlike faith begin to intersect with each other. Spiritual maturity and childlike faith. Childlike faith says, I don't want to stay the way that I am for the rest of my life. When you're, when you're a child, you're small. And when you look at a three-year-old, you've never heard a three-year-old say, ah, I'm just, I'm kind of done growing. I'm satisfied with, with this being this size. I don't, I don't want to learn anymore. I'm good with just being a three-year-old. I don't need to, I don't need to continue growing. That's not what children do, right? It is innate within a child to want to grow. Children want to grow. We tell our children all the time, if you eat your vegetables, then you're going to be big and strong like daddy one day, right? That's what we tell our children because we know that they have a desire to grow. And so it is with our faith as well. Our childlike faith should want to grow. We should be grateful for the things that we have, but we should also be discontent with where we are in Christ. I'm grateful for what I have, but I know that what I have seen is not all that there is to see. I'm grateful for what I have learned, but I know that that is not all that there is to learn. I know that there is more for me available. And this is where the intersection of our spiritual maturity and our childlike faith exists. I'm grateful for what I have but I know that there's more for me. I'm grateful for the relationship that I have with Christ, but I know that I can go deeper in this relationship as well. I'm grateful for it. And uh, I want to give you three things right here, three things if you're taking notes. This is how you can do this. Three things on how you can pursue the one thing that Christ is calling us to. Three things on how you can press on towards the one thing that God has for us. These are three different things. Number one... Surrender. Surrender. And man, this is one of those things that's easy to say. Boy, is it tough to do. Surrender. Daily. When you wake up, first thing you do, God, I surrender to you. Whatever your will is for me today, I choose to do that thing. Surrender. And God, I don't compartmentalize my relationship. I'm not segmenting my relationship. God, I surrender all of me to you today. All of me, God. I make all of me available to you. I am fully, completely surrendered. God, show me today what you want me to do. God, show me today what you have for me. God, show me today who you want me to invest in and who you want me to serve and who you want me to be generous to. God, show me what I need to do. God, show me. And then give me the courage and the ability to do that thing that you have revealed to me. First thing, surrender. Second thing, get focused. Get focused. Set goals for yourself. Get focused. We don't often talk about 
setting goals for ourselves in church. We talk about pray and believe and God will heal and all these things, right? They're, they're true. You've also got to set goals for yourself because as you, as you take a, an inventory of your own life, you begin to see where you have been and where you are and the things that God has for you. God will reveal the things that he has for you. Part of why it's important to be setting goals is because you take where you are and you look at where you want to be and the things that God has for you and what do you need to do in order to get there? What goals do you need to set? What do you need to do with your calendar that you are not yet doing with your calendar? What do you need to adjust in your own life to be able to get to where God wants you to be, to be the person that God wants you to be? What do you need to do within your own life? What do you need to surrender and what do you need to get focused in? What goals do you need to set? Set goals for your own church experience. How do you want to be engaging in the church life this year? I want to attend this many services. I want to sign up to volunteer. I want to be a life group leader. This is how many times I want to volunteer. So often we go through our church experience and we just show up and we think, well, really, all I do with my church experience is that I just show up on a Sunday. God has so much more available for you in the life of the church if you set yourself goals and you surrender to what he has for you. Number three, look forward. Don't look back. Surrender, get focused, look forward. Don't look back. Don't look back. Don't look back to the failures don't look back to the success. I want you to understand when I say don't look back, I'm not talking about don't have memories. I'm not talking about uh, don't consider the things that have happened to you. I'm just saying when you look back, if there's something that you are holding onto in your past that hinders your ability to do the things that God has called you to, let it go. If there's something that is in your past that you are holding onto that hinders your ability to be the person that God has called you to be, let it go. If there's some, a, a failure in your past that you are holding onto, something that you wish that you had done differently, let it go. A mistake that you made, something that you wish that you had said, something that you wish that you hadn't said, a job that you wish you had taken. If there's something in your past that you wish that you had done differently, let it go. And in the same way, if you have a success from your past that is holding you back from being the person that God has called you to be or doing the things that God has called you to do, then let it go. And I know that it's football season right now, so we need to talk about football for just a minute. I'm a, I'm a Broncos fan, if you don't know it. I'm not real vocal about being a Broncos fan at the moment because it's been a minute since the Broncos were any good. But the, the reason that I'm a Denver Broncos fan, I've never been to Denver, but the reason that I'm a Denver Broncos fan is because the first American that I ever met is from Denver. And they said to me, if you ever get into watching the NFL, then I want you to promise me that you're going to be a Denver Broncos fan. And I was like, I can do that because I don't know if I'm ever going to be into the NFL. And so I became a Denver Broncos fan. And then a few years later, they signed Peyton Manning. And then a couple years after that, then we're Super Bowl champions, Super Bowl 50. And I'm like, this is good. I chose the right team. I met the right friend. And that was a decade ago. And, and that's why I don't talk too much about being a Denver Broncos fan no more. 
I'm not real vocal about that. Denver Broncos fans are not real vocal at the moment. But if you're a Lions fan, the Lions fans are particularly vocal at the moment. Because everyone's thinking that the Lions might have some kind of chance at the moment to take it all the way. And I'm a... See, Lions fans are pretty vocal. And I'm thinking about jumping from the Denver Broncos into the Detroit Lions, jumping on the bandwagon at the moment and riding that thing all the way to the Super Bowl. I believe that the, Denver, the Detroit Lions have a chance this year. And uh, it seems like someone said, don't do it. Like you're just expecting the Lions to <laughs> do what they always do. But every now and again, this conversation comes back up about who is the greatest quarterback of all time. Different names get brought up. Maybe it's Peyton Manning. Detroit Lions fans might say that it's Goff. I don't know. Like you, everyone thinks that they know who the greatest quarterback is of all time. I think without question, it's Tom Brady. I think that the GOAT is Tom Brady. And the reason that I think this, whether you like him or don't like him or whatever your opinion is about him, I think that on-field success is unquestioned. And I remember I started paying attention to Tom Brady when he was being interviewed back in 2005, and he just won his third Super Bowl. And the person that is interviewing him said, Tom Brady, you have been so successful in your career already. You've won not one, not two, but three Super Bowls. You have three Super Bowl rings now to show for. Of these Super Bowl rings that you have, which one is your favorite? Tom pauses for a moment. He thinks to himself, and then he responds, which Super Bowl ring is my favorite? The next one. The next one is my favorite. That is the mentality of a champion right there. Not not complacent, not focusing on the past accomplishments that they have, not only thinking about the success that they have already experienced. What, what is going to be the next one for you? What's, what's the greatest one for you? The next one for you. That's the mentality. It's on the next thing. I know that I've done some great things, but I believe that the best thing for me is the next one. That's what allowed Tom Brady to not just win one more, not just to win two more, not just to win three more, but that's what allowed Tom Brady to win four more Super Bowls over the rest of his career because he had this mentality that I'm not just content with what I have done and I'm not just content with what I have seen, but I'm pressing on to the next thing. I have not seen the greatest thing just yet. And, and I, love, I love learning about history, and I love learning about how we got here as a nation and, and how our world got to this point. I love learning about the different revivals that our church experience has been impacted by. I love learning about the Great Awakenings, and I love learning about the Azusa Street Revival, and I love learning about Asbury College Revival and all these different revivals that have taken place. But if you ask me which is the greatest revival? I wouldn't tell you none of those. If you asked me which is the greatest revival, I would tell you the next one. The next revival is the greatest revival that we are ever going to experience. The next one. Because my focus is not on the things that we have experienced. My focus, my, I'm grateful for what God has already done, but I'm not content in what God has already done. I'm not content with the state of our nation. I'm not content with the state of our schools. I'm not content with the state of our city. My focus is on the next move of God and the way that God is continuing to work and the ways that God will work in us and the ways that God 
God will move in you and the way that God will move in your marriage and the way that God will move in your household and the way that God will move in your career, the way that God will move in all these different places. The next one, the next one, the next one. That's what I'm running after. I'm not, I'm not content with what God has done. I'm grateful for it. But my childlike faith says, I want to grow into the next one. God has something special for us and I'm excited about it and I'm believing for it and I'm running after it because God has something special for us. And too often in life, we, we just focus on where we have been. I'm telling you today, with every ounce of belief that I have, that your best days are ahead of you that God has great things in store for you, that God is not done with you yet. I believe it. With every bone, every fiber within my body, I believe it. And if you are grateful for what God has done, but you're not done with God yet, you think that God is not done with you yet, would you just stand to your feet? This is the intersection that I want us to stand on right now. I'm grateful for what you have done, God, but I'm not content. And I believe that there's something even more for us still. God has something specific for you. God has something specific for our church community. God's not done with us yet. That God has something special for us, and I'm excited for it. Our standing today is a commitment to say that, God, we are running after you, that we're not content. We're not just living in what you did in us last year, the things that we saw last year, the miracles that we saw last year. I'm grateful for it, but I'm not content with what you've already done, God. I'm pressing after you. And God, today we press after you because you first pressed towards us. God, we run after you because you first ran in our direction. And God, we repent of the times that we made our goals too small, that we set our finish line too close where we are. God, we repent of those times and we remove them today and we cast them far off into the distance because we know that you have great things in store for us. And a big God cannot be limited with small goals, God. We want to see incredible things happen, mind-blowing things happen, things that cannot be described except for the fact that they were achieved by a powerful move of God. We have the faith for it, God, and we're believing that great things are in store for us. Give us the faith to see them, God. And we decree today that we will be better next year than we are this year. We believe today, God, that we are better than we were last year, and we're believing for in, in uh, for more improvement, for increased growth, God. We're believing for it. And God, we say today, thank you for what you're doing in us. We're so grateful for the move that you have already done, for the way that you have been faithful to us already, God, but we're not content in it. God, we're not relying on those things. We're not complacent in those things. We're not coasting in those things, God, because we know that our arrival time has not yet come. Give us the courage and the boldness to pursue everything that you have for us, God. We're believing for it today. And somebody, no, not somebody, everybody said amen. Amen.